three options here, okay? I'm going to have you raise your hands here in a moment. Uh, either you love the game when you were a kid, or you like the game, or you hated the game, okay? All right, how many love the game out there uh, when they were growing up? All right, how many like the game? All right, how many hated the game? <laughs> All right, very interesting. Now, here's a true test. If you got a call from your friends this week and said, hey, we're getting together for a game of Monopoly, how many of you would be excited about that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there you go, guys. Put your hands up again, and uh, you guys can have a party this week, huh? <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah, I tell you, Monopoly has been a game that we've all played and uh, enjoyed to whatever degree. Uh, it's interesting as you look at the history of the game, uh, I looked on Parker Brothers' website, and they said it was created by Charles Darrow uh, in 1933. Well, then I looked at other sources and found that that was not true. That's right. Back in 1903, they had these trading property games that were becoming popular, and they really evolved over 30 years. In fact, the most popular one was the Landlord game, and so they just kept evolving, and in fact, one woman uh, took a game and went to Atlantic City. I can remember as a kid going to Atlantic City, and the most exciting thing was not the beach, but the fact that I could visit where Marvin Gardens was. Uh, <laughs> as you know, all the, most of the streets there are, are from the Atlantic City uh, area, and uh, it... Uh, uh, this woman uh, took those street names, and uh, eventually Charles Darrow decided that he was going to try to sell uh, this particular game and call it Monopoly. So he took it to Parker Brothers, and they rejected it. Milton Bradley rejected it. So he had a friend print up 500 copies and started to sell it. And then Wanamaker's uh, department store in Philadelphia picked it up, and it really started to sell like hotcakes. And in 1935, Parker Brothers said, hey, you know, we've got to uh, buy this thing up. So they bought the rights uh, to Monopoly. And the rest is history. Seventy-six years of Monopoly. All different kinds of editions. You have set 27 different languages, 81 different countries. When I was in the Philippines back in 1986 on a short-term missions trip, I played Monopoly uh, with a family that I was staying in. In fact, Monopoly became so popular in Cuba that Fidel Castro had it banned. He didn't want these people to get the idea that capitalism was something that they should uh, <laughs> consider. You took all the Monopoly cash you have there, $15,140 in every game. If only we could turn that into real cash. What about the tokens in Monopoly? Uh, which is the most popular? Uh, well, you have the race car. How many like the race car? All right, well, that is the most popular. I mean, really think about it. It's just only logical. If you're trying to cruise around a board, you want a race car. You don't want a wheelbarrow. A horse, I guess that's the second best. A cannon, what good is that going to do you? It's going to slow you down in a thimble. Well, Frank Marcico said that his favorite was the thimble. And, uh, I mean, everybody has their taste, but, man, I'm with the race car. This is a 2000, uh, one of the 2000 editions. They have these particulars. You have a Toyota Prius. Now, why would you want a Toyota Prius? When you can have a race car, all right? Uh, McDonald's fries, uh, 
racing shoe and a laptop. Uh, very interesting. I, I can remember playing with my family, playing with my friends, hours upon hours, and uh, it, was, it was always uh, very interesting and very fun. You had games that went on for days, right? It was the indefinite nature of the game. <laughs> it was always so interesting and challenging at the same time. The sad thing is that for many of us, the only financial training we had was for the game of Monopoly. Really, when you think about it, back in that day, I'm not sure exactly what they do these days in schools, but back in that day, they didn't have any formal training on how to manage your money. I mean, think about money. You think about money a lot anyway, so let's think about it some more. <laughs> really, you're, 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 you're constantly thinking about money, about how to get more money. That's probably the main thing, right? Okay. And then how to save that money, invest that money, and more important, I guess, spend the money. That's where we spend a lot of our time and how to spend our money and how to keep going when uh, there's more month than there is money. And uh, money consumes our thinking quite a bit. And that's why it's so important that we continue to train ourselves, educate ourselves, especially talk about what the Bible says about money, what God says about how we should manage our money. And that's what this whole uh, monopoly, uh, Monopolize series is about, is managing your money. We're going to be looking at a couple different areas here. First of all, the first is the whole area of how to win the jackpot at free parking. Next week, uh, the boardwalk obsession, talking about how much we love stuff. And the week after that is how to get out of jail or how to get out of debt. Uh, last week, we're going to talk about managing your go money, just basic principles of money management. But this is always good to talk about on a yearly basis because, again, it is such an important issue, as we'll see as we study through uh, these passages. Now, let's talk about uh, how to win the jackpot at free parking. I can remember many times when I was playing Monopoly and I was cash-strapped. I had a lot of property and things of that nature, but I didn't have any money. So if I landed somewhere, I'd really be in a problematic situation if I landed on somebody's property, especially if they had hotels and things like that. So I was just hoping to get to free parking because we played it that any money that came from the income, income tax area or from the community cards or the chance cards... I would go right in the middle, and you get quite a bit of money in there after a while. And, oh, Lord, please get me to free parking. <laughs> and we're all looking for the jackpot in life. Everybody's looking for the jackpot in life. And it means things, different things, that is, to different people. But let's consider the most important person, that's Jesus Christ, what he thought the jackpot was. Matthew 13:44. Uh, we have a couple of parables we're going to look at, very short ones. The first one's only a verse long. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So let's first of all talk about the kingdom of heaven. What is that? The kingdom of heaven. Well, I believe. It's the kingdom of all those people who have become citizens of God, citizens of heaven. Those people who have become Christ followers, those people who their citizenship is in heaven, they're children of God. 
They have embraced the gospel. Their lives have been transformed. And that, Jesus Christ, is the treasure. The treasure, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a treasure. And the kingdom is not uh, just the beginning experience. When one first makes that decision to follow Christ as their personal Savior. That's just the beginning. When you talk about the gospel, when you talk about salvation, it, it continues uh, throughout life and throughout eternity, this good news of Jesus Christ, that you first discover the treasure, and then throughout your Christian life, you are learning about the treasure. You're experiencing the treasure. You're growing to appreciate the treasure more and more. And every day that goes by as you mature in Christ, you realize how valuable this treasure is. Now, why would it be hidden in the ground for this particular individual? Well, we read back in that day that they didn't have banks. They didn't have stock markets, thankfully. <laughs> they didn't have uh, IRAs, 401Ks. Uh, what they did with valuable things is that they buried them in the ground, especially in the area of Palestine because there were a lot of wars that took place there over the years. And that was the only way you could keep things safe. After a war, they'd pillage every village, so they buried this stuff. In fact, the ancient historian Josephus said this. He said the gold and the silver and the rest of the that most precious furniture which the Jews had and which the owners treasured up underground was done to withstand the fortunes of war. That's how they protected their stuff from people who wanted to steal from them, and especially uh, when wars took place. She had a lot of buried stuff. Well, this, this guy is plowing or tilling on this man's property, and all of a sudden, he finds a treasure. Now, those people who are listening would say, yeah, okay, that would be great. They probably all thought about finding treasure. So, so he finds his treasure, and what he does is he buries it again. He hides it because he wants to buy this piece of property so this treasure can be his. So he went out full of joy because this treasure was much worth, uh, worth, excuse me, worth much more than the property itself and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, we don't know how long this treasure had been there. It could have been there for years and years, hundreds of years, from someone who had lived there and maybe was killed in a war or had died and not told his relatives about the secret treasure. And I'm sure the current owner, they would know if their treasure was out there and get it out of there before they sold it. But the current owner didn't know about the treasure, but this man found it, so... The important thing here is that he sold everything. He sold all his extra clothes. He sold all his possessions. He sold his house. He sold anything that he had because he had to get a hold of this treasure in his life. It was that valuable to him. Again, we're talking about the good news of Christ, the gospel, salvation. Now we move on to Matthew 13, 45 and 46. He tells another parable. It's a couplet, a very similar. Again, the kingdom of heaven, salvation, is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything 
and bought it. So we see the same type of idea. A merchant was kind of like a wholesaler. They went around to all different types of places and got their particular piece of merchandise, and then they sold it to retailers. People would sell directly to the public. And this particular merchant was looking for pearls. And he came across this one pearl, which I think must have been undervalued. The person who was selling the pearl really didn't know the true value of it. And so he said, if I can buy this pearl, well, I know the true value of it, and so I'm going to be wealthy. So what did he do? He sold everything that he had. Now, pearls back in that day were like diamonds. It said that heaven is decorated with pearls to show how valuable heaven is going to be, how wonderful a place it's going to be, because, again, pearls were so valuable. So in both these parables, we see someone who finds a treasure, a treasure that is so wonderful, a treasure that is so valuable, a treasure that they cannot live without, and therefore they sell everything that they have, everything, in order to get this treasure. And Jesus Christ says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what the gospel is. That's what salvation is. That's what having a relationship with God is. It's something incredibly special. It's the jackpot. It's the free jackpot that we're all looking for. And that's what we continue to proclaim here at Springbrook. The people that come and we encourage our family here to go out and tell people about this free jackpot that God wants to give them. John 15:11 talks about Jesus Christ praying for his disciples and he says I have told you this talking about his disciples so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus Christ says I've told you about the treasure. I've told you about the gospel so that you might have true joy. And that's what we're all looking for. And the problem is, is we continue to listen to the world. We continue to listen to our desires. And we think, no, if I do this, this is going to bring me true joy. And it's not going to do that. The saddest thing, and the burden to me as I prepare messages and I work with people, is that uh, there are so many Christ followers who have the treasure. They know where the treasure is. They've been told about the treasure. They hear about the treasure all the time, but they continue to be blinded to the fact that the treasure is the key in life. And so what they do is they don't dig down, they don't seek in terms of knowing the treasure more and experiencing the treasure and living out the treasure through the power of Christ. What they do is they... They just mess around with the toys of life. Anybody get any toys for Christmas? Yeah, we all got some toys, right? And you better enjoy them because uh, uh, the glory is going to fade quickly on those toys. <laughs> you know, there's just going to be other stuff that I own. <laughs> you know, we all love toys, right? And what Satan wants to do in our lives is he wants to continue to distract us throughout life so we never get to know the real treasure. The real power that comes from God that can transform our lives and so that we can fulfill the mission that God has given us. And that burdens me so much to be talking with Christ followers who are just so casual, who just say, hey, you know, I'm a Christ follower and I'm doing the minimum. And it's kind of like, no, no, you're missing out on so much. 
And many times the reason people don't go further because it does involve sacrifice in order to experience the treasure. You've got to sacrifice just like these individuals sacrificed for their treasure. They sold everything. If you're really going to know, experientially know, the value of the Gospel is you have to sacrifice. As it says in Matthew 16:24. Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, become a citizen of heaven, become part of the kingdom of heaven, he must deny himself. What does deny mean? Well, deny means to say, Lord, I'm submitting my desires to you. Your desires come first. I'm denying all my desires. Your desires come first. You're number one. This whole issue of lordship that we talked about last year at this time, we were going through Romans 12, remember that? The R12 series, and we challenged people to make that lordship decision. I mean, certainly we had 60 people who made a decision uh, to follow Christ last year, and hopefully those decisions were sincere. Uh, and, but now, I think at some point in their life, they're going to have to make a lordship decision. There's, there's some point in a person's life where they realize this Christianity thing, this relationship with Christ, is much deeper than I thought it was. And if I'm really going to experience the treasure, I'm really going to have to give my life over to Christ and say, Lord, I'm yours. And whatever you want to do with my life, whatever you want to direct me, whatever, I'm yours. And that's a lordship decision. If you haven't made that decision, I encourage you uh, to do that. Uh, because you give your, your life over to Christ and say, do what you want with me. And it says, and take up His cross and follow me. What does that mean? Well, Again, we all know that the cross was the symbol of execution in the Roman Empire. Basically, to take up one's cross means to be willing to pay anything to follow Christ. To be willing to give up anything, to sacrifice anything to follow Christ. No, oh, that's, that's pretty intense. Well, yeah, that's what lordship is all about. And when you're sacrificing, typically it comes through persecution. I think of some of you I know who uh, have been rejected by your families because of your relationship with Christ. And once you became a Christ follower, they disowned you. Can you imagine that? Your family disowning you? Well, that's persecution. And Jesus Christ said, I will divide families because some people are put in a situation where they have to choose between their family and uh, Jesus, that's very challenging. I know that for, for, for a lot of you, it's created a lot of friction in your family when you came to Christ. And maybe that still is the case. You're no longer the golden child. You're the bronze child. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they look at you different now. They think maybe you've lost it in some way. And you're weak. And yeah, it's uh, very sad. But Jesus Christ said it would happen. Or maybe it's been on the job. That's why many people are closet Christians, because they don't want to submit themselves to the lordship issue. They don't want to, it's not like in your face type of thing, you know, wearing Jesus shirts to work or stuff like that. But it basically just means in general conversation and 
your relationships that they know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and that you're a Christ follower and that you seek to live your life in a way that is in alignment with this book, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and uh, that church is important to you, being together with other Christ followers. Your life is just different than they know it. Well, I tell you, if that happens in the workplace, some of you know firsthand that uh, you're just not part of the gang because you don't want to talk about the same things that they talk about or do the things that they do. Uh, sometimes that means being passed over for a promotion. Sometimes that means being harassed by certain people. Well, again, that's the greatest honor to be persecuted for Christ. It's not easy. It's painful. It's sacrificial. But that's what it means to take up your cross. I think some of you, some of you who have never been married or uh, you're divorced, and you're looking for that person to spend the rest of your life with, and you have made a lordship decision, and you go on eHarmony, and there's no place for a lordship decision. <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know what they have on there, but, you know, like Christian affiliation or something like that. But I don't think they have something you could check off where it says lordship. <laughs> I'm already sold out to Jesus, you know, that particular category. So you might get hooked up with somebody, but you find out, hey, this person's a casual Christian, and I'm not a casual Christian. Well, friends, I'll tell you. And I don't have to tell you single people who are committed Christians. It's hard to find a mate that is a lordship Christ follower. And you you suffer because of that. You want to get married. You want to connect. But you have a very small group to choose from. So continue to pray and see what God has for you. But that's the idea here. But... To experience the treasure of the gospel, to experience the treasure of being a citizen of heaven, of knowing Jesus, one has to deny oneself and, again, uh, carry the cross. So, what does this look like in regards to our relationship with God? Let's get some more insights here on how we need to honor God. We look at First Chronicles. David was asked, uh, or David wanted to build the, the temple uh, for uh, God. He was just in a tabernacle. He was in a tent, the Holies of Holies and the Ark of Covenant. And David wanted to build him a new temple. And God said, no, you're a man of blood. You're a warrior. Uh, someone else has to build it. So Solomon ended up building it. But David said, hey, well, let me at least uh, encourage people to be generous and give out of their hearts. So David raised all the money for the temple. And people just gave in incredible amounts it was just an unbelievable offering because people were so grateful to God. They were so committed to God at that point in Israel's history. And David himself gave $14 billion out of his personal treasury. So David prays a beautiful prayer after this all has happened. David prays the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor for everything on heaven and earth is yours. So why is God great and glorious and full of majesty and splendor? Because He owns everything. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. There we have it. For everything in heaven is yours. Everything belongs to God. The clothes you're wearing right now, they all belong 
to God. Some of you have expensive jewelry on that belongs to God. That car out in the parking lot, that belongs to God. And you say, I wish God would get a better car. But uh, your house, that belongs to God. Your furniture, all your financial resources, everything that you have belongs to God. And of course, we're taught by this world that we amass Riches, that we amass resources and possessions, and it belongs to us. But if you're going to be truly a Lordship Christian, you need to realize it all belongs to God. Now, other people don't realize it, but their stuff belongs to God too. And so your role on earth is just to manage those resources. It's all God's stuff. So you've got to manage those resources for Him. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Stopping at McDonald's is a spiritual decision because you're spending God's money. And if you are in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're saying, Lord, tell me what to do with my money. I've denied myself. I denied my desires. You show me the way because everything belongs to you. Now, on top of that, we look at verse 12 and we realize that any Personal abilities, our life itself belongs to God. Wealth and honor, in verse 12, come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. So, wealth and honor come from you. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, there's a tendency for us to think, I'm doing pretty well here. Now, I mean, I have really worked hard. I've got a good job. And the reason I have a good job because of me, it's because of me. Because, you know, I got the education and I worked hard and I'm disciplined. And the reason I'm more successful than other people is because, well, I'm just more intelligent. I, uh, I make better decisions. Uh, I have higher level skills. And uh, yeah, life is good. No! No! The only reason you have what you have is because God allowed you to have it. God gave you your brain. God gave you your skills. Do you have an unbelievable skill where people just say, wow, how do you do that? You should say, well, God gave me this skill, you know. I don't know how I do it. <laughs> God does it, right? Those skills are from God. If you've got a high level of intelligence, God gave it to you. That's a gift from God. If you have breath this morning, I think you all had breath. Check your neighbors. Okay, everybody's still alive. That's from God. Every breath that you take is from the Lord. But we so easily get caught up in pride, think it's about, thinking, about, thinking that it's about us and all that we've done and all that we've accomplished. When I think about pride in terms of national profile people, my mind goes to Donald Trump. So I did a search on Google. I put Donald Trump pride. And I just couldn't believe it. I came up with an article by Donald Trump about pride. <laughs> I said, he's written on the topic. <laughs> What he was doing, I don't know where it was from, but he was talking about the seven deadly sins. 
found in the Bible and relating them to the workplace. And this is what he said as part of it about pride. In one sense, it's absolutely necessary. Well, obviously, <laughs> you have to be proud of your work, proud of your accomplishments, proud of your abilities. That's an undeniable given. And then he goes on to give a caveat. Well, you've got to, you know, pay attention to other people because they help you get where you need to be. But we know that Donald Trump's an arrogant person. But friends, the reason Donald Trump is incredibly wealthy is because of God. God gave him that wealth. The reason Donald Trump is very intelligent, uh, very much an entrepreneur, the reason that he has done uh, many things, achieved many things, is an excellent businessman, and the reason that people are attracted to him is because of whatever God has given him. Not necessarily anything sinful, none of that, but he's given Donald Trump everything. If Donald Trump saw the light, and I'm not sure where he's at spiritually, but I wouldn't say that he'd stand up today and it's all because of God. <laughs> you know, it is all from God. Everything that any gifted person has out there, when you watch on TV or in a movie or uh, you read in a newspaper something just fabulous, it's because God entrusted that to them. It's from God. Now, what does this mean about lordship? That means if you totally submit yourself, you know what the treasure is, you know what the jackpot is in life, and that's walking with Jesus. All right, so I'm going to submit myself to God. And I'm going to turn my thinking. I'm going to transform the way I think about my stuff. I'm going to transform the way I think about my skills and my intelligence and my abilities. It's all from God. So therefore, I've got to have a different orientation in the way I approach my life. I've got to think, this is all from God, so I've got to use it for Him. I've got to use it for His glory to get His work done. So the question is, how are you doing in that area? Well, there's a very simple diagnostic test that I want you to take this week. Let's look at Matthew 22:37, where Jesus Christ was summarizing the Old Testament law. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The heart is what God is most concerned about. That we love Him with all our heart. And the heart's a very unusual thing we see in Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's this saying is that your money follows your heart. So God wants our heart. So if our money follows our heart, if we want to know where we're at, we need to know where our money's at. Now, I can stand up here and God's given me the ability to teach, but that's not going to tell you where Dan's heart really is. The only way you could do that is look at my checkbook and my Quicken files and other accounts and just how Dan spends his money. That is the most accurate representation of Dan's heart and his commitment to God. Now you say, Dan, that's kind of overstating things, isn't it? Well, God said it. <laughs> if you look in uh, Luke 16, 13, uh, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and 
money. Money. Now, why didn't he say you can't serve both God and Satan? That makes sense, right? Well, I don't, I don't worship Satan or anything. I worship God. I'm good with that, right? Or uh, you can uh, you cannot serve both God and and sin. That makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to worship God and not sin. But God and money. Well, it's getting kind of close here, God. You're getting a little bit too close to home. Why'd you have to put money in there anyway? Because God knows. You see, the reflection of your heart is in the way you spend your money and the way you spend your time. That's how you can know where you're at with God. All you have to do is look at the way you spend your money and the way you spend your time. All you have to do is get out your financial files, get out your calendar, get out your smartphone, your iPhone, and just take a look at, hey, where am I spending my time? Because that's going to show what's important to you. Where am I spending my money? And that's going to show what's important to you. You see, it, it comes always back to this one issue about what's number one in your life. What's the most important thing in your life? And if you are going to embrace the treasure that God has given you, God has to be the most important thing in your life. That's the only way you're going to experience a Christian life as He promised it. But the problem is because of our sinful nature, because of the world, we get distracted. We're going along and we're on track and, and God is there and all of a sudden something else distracts us. And we might be distracted for a long period of time, maybe years. But for some of us, it's kind of like, you know, we just get, we, we drift a little bit. And something else for maybe, maybe even just a couple of weeks, a pocket, something becomes very, very important to us. I notice this in my own life, that I become consumed with something. Not a negative thing, but just another activity or something that just really... Be, this has to be. This is the most important thing to me. When really, I've gotten away from God being the most important thing to me. So we always have to be checking our hearts. And that's what I want us all to do this week. Is I want us to, to do a heart check. Now let's think about this, okay? Uh, if we think about doing a heart check, what's most important to us? Uh, let me just give you some ideas. And I, I really want you to spend some time with God this week. And spend some time with your uh, checkbook or whatever you use to track your finances and uh, look at your calendar. And, and say, okay, what, what am I worshiping? Some people uh, can trend toward worshiping entertainment. Okay? It's all about TVs and sound systems. Uh, and, of course, there's a lot of different types of entertainment out there. It's all about the weekends. You know, you worship your time off. Uh, you worship uh, being able to go different places. Uh, you worship maybe uh, going on trips. Now, now, none of these things are wrong in themselves, okay? They're all good things, all great things God has given us. But when you put them first in your life and you're giving your time and your money to them more than you would to God, and it's not like there's equal proportions, you know, and I know, what's first in our lives. And for some of us, it's just having a good time. That's number one in our lives. And it's not God. You know, we'll, we'll give you know, some love service to Him and 
We'll do okay. We'll be an average Christian or above average Christian, but you're not sold out. Uh, For some people, it's their kids. And this is a hard one. Uh, Well, they're already hard because we all can justify them. That's what we do, right? We justify and rationalize. And, well, you know, I've got to give my kids the best experience. And, you know, I've been... They've been given to me by God in order that I might raise them up and, you know, uh, maximize their capacity and all that kind of stuff. So we're spending all this kind of money on uh, these teams and these activities. And again, none are wrong in themselves, but you know if you're worshiping your kids. You know if that's the most important thing in your life. Some of you uh, worship your savings. Uh, it's great to save. We all should do that. We all should invest in things of that nature. But but some of you just, you know, it's all about saving money. And it drives your family nuts. Your family is suffering because you just want to save money. And you've got allowances for your spouse. And you're, you're making everybody miserable because you have money that should be spent on blessing your family but you've got to squirrel it away. You know, one of the reasons, one of the motivations of that is because you don't trust God. Yeah, you don't trust God. You don't really think He's going to take care of you, so you have to take care of yourself, and you have to put all that money away in order so that you can feel secure or feel that you have a certain amount of money or stuff like that. Uh, for women, uh, I think that uh, home decorating can become uh, something that you worship. Yeah, nothing wrong with home decorating, but if that's the most important thing in your life is, you know, looking for a new thing to decorate your home or remodeling this or whatever the case might be, again, it's putting it before Jesus. Or maybe it's taking care of your body. That can be both for men and women. Uh, it's great to stay in shape. It's great to eat healthy and things like that, but some people, that's what they live for. And uh, it's wrong. It's wrong if, if Jesus isn't first. If that's not the priority in your life. Some women that's shopping just for shopping's sake. <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, they go out to look for something to need. <laughs> they keep searching until they can justify something that they need. Okay? All right, we'll pick on the guys here. Uh, some guys, oh, they worship their cars. I had an uncle, if you just leaned on his car, he, he had a fit. Yeah, I mean, really, he bought a new car every year. He had money. He's dead now. and uh, But he had money. He wasn't a Christ follower. But I tell you, I can remember a couple different stories where he just lost it, you know. If my brothers, you know, leaned up against a car or did anything to his car. I mean, come on! Isn't that stupid? But he worshipped his car. That's what he was. We're all looking for the jackpot. We're all looking for satisfaction. And we find it in different places. Some guys find it in a work, uh, a uh, uh, tool area, uh, work area, where, where, where they just continue to collect different tools. You know, Home Depot. <laughs> they go to buy a nail and they come out with, you know, a $280 bill. I didn't know they had this stuff. I really need it. <laughs> You know, that could be a, an area where guys can uh, worship things. Or uh, they might worship their lawn, taking care of their lawn. Not a bad thing, but if it takes first place, it's it's not good. Or, or sports, huh? 
Yeah, some guys are just sport junkies. I mean, their time, their money, uh, it's all around the Bears. Maybe a bad investment this year. (laughs) But that's their life. You know what I'm talking about. And you know what your area is. You know what you're really... I mean, it's like you, you get through the day or whatever to get to that one point where you can do something you enjoy, but it's more than something you just enjoy. You actually... That's kind of what makes your life tick. That's what keeps you holding on to life. And Jesus is the only thing that you should be holding on to. Don't be holding on to a TV. Don't be holding on to a new clock. Don't be holding on to a new piece of wood equipment. Don't be holding on to the next game. Hold on to Jesus. And it's not easy, guys. It's not easy. I struggle with it all the time. It's just the way we are. But, But I just encourage you to go home and pray. And uh, just ask the Lord to speak to you. And look at your calendar. Just take, you know, a half hour this week and just sit down with God and just, just think. You probably don't even have to look at the, the calendar. Or the, you can just think and just write down all the things you might be worshiping and say, okay, Lord, you know, and then say, Lord, this thing's got a hold of me and, and, and I'm, I'm worshiping it and I repent and will you. Empower me to overcome this because I don't know how to do it. It's got such a grip on my life. Please, Lord, I want to be submitted to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And, but I need your help to overcome this thing that I just am, just am you know, addicted to. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for all of us this week as we do a spiritual diagnostic test on our heart. And our hearts are so evil. I know my heart, Lord, and uh, I can fool myself so easily and justify and rationalize. And uh, I pray you'd help me this week to take a closer look at my life and see what what I'm worshiping. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts throughout this series. Because, Lord, it's not about money. It's about the fact that you want us. You want all of us, and I pray that uh, you would give us the strength to be able to be that committed. In Christ's name, Amen. Uh, we could have our ushers.